Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have a, I mean, this dude, it's in his name. He's a rock star. I have the one and only Mr. Mo Rock on the show. This is going to be a lot of fun. Share this out. Share it out. See you guys in a minute. And we are back and ready to roll. Let me bring Mr. Mo Rock. Mo, welcome to the show. What's up, Ken? Dude, how, how you, you doing, doing man? man? If I was any better, my last name would be Rock. Is that is that right? I'm ready today to break through some walls, man. I hope the people watching are ready to break through some walls. I know I am. It's 8 a.m. here in SoCal, That's and we're going to get the day started running through some walls. Dude, 8 a.m. is early. It's very early, man, especially for me. I'm a night owl. I am too, man. Yeah. I I would have told me no. I can't say no to you, man. You look like you look like the quintessential nice guy. Right? Like if you grab a dictionary and and, and, you know, you look at nice guy, there's a picture of Ken. If anyone (laughs) says no to Ken Walls, like there's something wrong with them, you know? (laughs) Ken, Ken is like the perfect neighbor, you know, like I look at Ken and I think to myself, you know, I like my neighbor, but I would replace him for Ken Walls in a heartbeat. Like Ken is the quintessential neighbor. Ken is the quintessential nice guy. Ken is a quintessential friend that you want to have. I can't, I'm not going to say no to Ken. That's like saying no to a good, you know, like a good neighbor, Ken Walls is there. <laughs> oh, God. I've heard something similar to that. So, so Mo, I, you know, I started this show about three years ago and honestly, I I think it was more, it was probably for, for personal reasons more than anything. I, I, I was in a place where I was feeling really stuck with some, some things and I'm like, you know what, if I just, if I just interview other people and let them share how they got through the crap you know, maybe that'll help me along the way too. And so I, I was a little selfish when I started it, but it's turned out to be something amazing. And, you know, <clears throat> I think for the last couple of years, I've been trying to get you on. Um, and, uh, it's been hit or miss. We've talked about it and then never really did anything. So I'm, look, I'm glad that you're here today. I'm very grateful to call you a friend and, and, you're doing some some really amazing things in life, well, bro. I'm, I'm grateful for you, my yeah. brother, and I, I feel like everything oh, – I'm a big man of faith, right? And yeah. I don't talk too much about it or try to tell other people, you know, to think a certain way or to believe a certain thing because I think faith is personal. But yeah. I, I, have a, I have a saying, and that's that everything happens in divine time. That's why I don't yep. really sweat things too much. Because I know everything is going to lay out the way it's supposed to lay out with who yeah. you're supposed to work with and when. So I know that you and I were doing this when we're supposed to do it. Yeah. And someone is going to hear what they need to hear. And you and I are going to have a good conversation together and have fun. And to your point, right. you said something that I'm going to disagree with. You said that it was selfish of you to start this show and to um, – you know, see if you can help yourself by helping other people. I would beg to differ. I would say it's not selfish of you. In fact, you, by doing that, were utilizing a universal principle. You see, there's a lot of people, Ken, they want to constantly help themselves or they're always um, self-centered and they're always thinking about what is, you know, what they can do to help remove themselves out of pain or themselves out of misery. But it never occurs to them that maybe, the best way to help yourself is to help other people. This is a universal principle. Why helping other people is what we're all supposed to do. And as a byproduct, when you authentically help other people with integrity, I love you, my sister, Lena. When you authentically help other people, she's a sweetheart. When you, uh, that's a sweet family. The Nolans, they're a beautiful, sweet family. 
but when you authentically yeah. help other people, you're helping yourself, right? Yep. So I, I don't think you were selfish or self-centered or anything like that, Ken. I think you were doing what people should be doing, help other people. And as, and, and as a natural byproduct of that, you're going to be helped yourself. But, you know, I'm glad that you, you did that three years ago. I think that you were in the right time. Because I remember in the middle of COVID, <laughs> I couldn't log into Facebook. Like, you know, in the, in the, in the very beginning of lockdown, I could not log into Facebook without seeing Ken Wall's live. I think you were doing like twelve-hour shifts during the, those first two I weeks, was. man. Dude, yeah. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So, 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 all right, listen. I know you're used to being in control of interviews, but this one's mine, and you, <laughs> I'm gonna. Okay, ask I'm not gonna tell the audience. I'm not gonna tell the audience what's right next to you. Okay, and so <laughs> my hands are up, Ken. You're in control. Oh, Go man. ahead. So look, man, I, I think that, you know, I, I, first let's start, let's start off with, and, and I want to say good morning to my brother, Doug Wing. He's, he's um, the, his father's the founder of the little giant ladder company. And, and dude, this guy right here, you want to talk the about giant ladder that company. what's that? The little giant ladders, like, la you know, ladders, you climb up on a roof for oh, okay. So it's a, like a, one of the more famous the ladder third, third largest ladder company in the world. And, wow, and that's Doug awesome. Just sold, Congratulations, Doug. Just sold his, yeah, he just sold his, him and his brother owned it, and he just sold his his part of it. So anyway, um, so why don't you start with telling everybody where you were born and raised? You know, believe it or not, I was born and raised in Minnesota, Ken. So um, yeah, born and raised in Minnesota home of Minnesota nice, right? And so that's how I'm able to recognize nice guys like you pretty quickly, you know? And uh, what was that? I said Midwest, I'm in Ohio. There you go, so you know what it is. And I loved growing up in that particular environment. I feel like it's different than here in California. You know, we still have a little bit of that small town vibe. You know, if you move to a home in the suburbs of Minnesota in my childhood, Ken, I remember the first week moving into a new home, you would have every neighbor in your, you know, cul-de-sac knock on the door, bring a little gift, welcome you to the neighborhood. Hey, my name is so-and-so over here. Hey, my name is so-and-so over there. And what's interesting is I remember I moved to California after school. Um, primarily for business reasons. And I was like shell-shocked for the first year because there's none of that, you know? I remember when I first yeah. moved to SoCal, you know, growing up in that kind of environment, uh, I, would, I would, you know, move into a neighborhood and say, hi, my name is Mo, I just moved here. And the guy would look at me like, what the hell do I give a shit about? <laughs> you know, right. why, are you, why are you starting a conversation with me? And so it took me a while to realize that not everywhere is like that small town, uh, you know, uh, I know my neighbor, I'm friends with my neighbor vibe, but I'm grateful that I had yeah. the opportunity to be born there, to be raised there, not in the city, but in the suburb, you know, suburb area. Yeah. yeah. Because it totally sh shifted and shaped the way that I, that I, you know, think in many terms. And yeah. I don't want to use the word naivete or um, simple, but I'll use the word em empathetic. I feel like in those kind of smaller towns people generally are a little more empathetic to one another because life is slower yep. things are not rush 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 things are not speed 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 and so i feel like that kind of has kept me grounded especially in the world of business yeah because in business especially in the rat race it's all rush 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 speed 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 and we need to be that way as leaders business owners ceos because the world is moving at a mock 10 speed Right. Yeah. Especially yeah. with globalism, especially with the way the world is not interconnected geopolitically. But at the yeah. same time, internally, if you're rushing, 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 you're going to oftentimes rush to go nowhere. You know, I think that yeah. going back to what I said earlier, as a person of faith, everything will fall into place the way it's supposed to fall into. And so patience is virtue. So to just kind of have that same small town mentality that I was born and raised in. It's helped a lot in business to just, you know, keep things cool, 
not always rush, rush, rush all the time and know that everything will fall into place the way it's supposed to. So I'm, I'm really grateful. I grew up in Minnesota, uh, the suburbs of it. Uh, it's a beautiful state, beautiful people, had a wonderful childhood growing up there. And uh, it's really um, unfortunate what's happened the last year or two. I mean, so many great things come out of that state. And it seems like the national media attention was in just Minneapolis and some of the rough stuff that happened there. And I'm thinking yeah. to myself, well, you're not showing all of the great things. I mean, it's sad that we became kind of famous for something very unfortunate. Um, but, yeah. you know, well, uh, you know, said, I, yeah. I, I had a, um, a layover in Minneapolis one time and I've only been there one time and it was on a, and during a layover and Delta screwed up and, and, um, it, they ended up the, it's, I've never heard of this, a pilot timing out, <laughs> like, like the pilots. Yeah. Like the well, pilot. You know, I, I think what happened, Ken was the pilot said some words he's not supposed to say. <laughs> yeah, no, he'd been flying too long. They said, <laughs> and they had to stop in Salt Lake city and switch out the pilot. And we were there for like an extra hour or two waiting. And so I missed my action flight and they put me up in a hotel. Well, I was coming from Vegas and I wasn't dressed for, Minneapolis and and so um I, I I you know I got an Uber or whatever to the hotel and and I was like dude it's freaking cold here he's like yeah you're in Minneapolis dude I go well I know but I didn't plan on being in Minneapolis like what you know what month of the year was it I don't remember it was it was it seemed like it should have been warm but it was in the 40s or something like yeah, that and, yeah, yeah. And, no. and you know i think columbus ohio was probably in the 70s right but, you know i don't know man it, it was no, but, we have like yeah. three good months <laughs> we basically have three months of summer nine months of winter that's kind of what it's like I, over there know. You know? yeah yeah You're, and it's almost in canada eh <laughs> that's right that's right exactly no, but it was funny. Hey, what's up, Frank? Good to see you, buddy. Frank, what, what's funny you, is, you know, we in California here, and I've lived in SoCal now for well over a decade, you know, going on yeah. about 15, 13, 15 years, whatever it is. Yeah. And um, here it's like summer every single day. And so I went kind of from one extreme to another extreme, which is pretty funny. Yeah. And uh, yeah. But I do love living in Southern California and all, all transparency. Are you in L.A.? Yeah, I'm 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 near LA. I'm near LA, um, very close to to that area. And uh, you know, here it's just a different vibe. Ken, like I said, like if you if you're born and raised in the Midwest, it takes about a year just to deal with like the shell shock, <laughs> just culturally, because things are so much more fast paced here. Things Dude, are, and it's, you know, we when we lived in Vegas. My wife is, you know, we're from the Midwest. So we, we live in, we lived in Vegas in this gated community. And at Christmas, my wife and my daughter baked Christmas cookies, a bunch of them and box them up real nice. And these little, you know, Christmassy packages and, and went door to door in our neighborhood to deliver cookies to our neighbors for free, just here, Merry Christmas. And and dude, people were rude about yeah. it. Like yeah, really yeah. rude. Yeah. Like, what are you ringing my doorbell for? Yeah. Like one woman's like, "What do you want?" Like, <laughs> Get we right next door. We're right next door to you. Just bringing some Christmas cookies and no, you know, the stuff like, like that. Look, there's a there are a lot of things, Ken, that are uniquely Midwestern, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah. There are a lot of things that are uniquely Midwestern, small town. If the city's yeah. population is over 25, 30,000, they don't really get it, right? I get it. I, I grew up in that environment, <laughs> right? I, I understand, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> here in Southern California, if there's a knock on the door, one of the worst things that a person wants to see in Southern California is a little girl at the door with a box of cookies. Because, because you know, like in my experience, a lot of people are just mean and rude. I'm like, dude, just like buy the cookies or like accept them. Like she's not uh, trying to it, harm you. It's crazy, dude. So, so you, um, so you grew up in Minnesota. Did you, did you end up going to college? Yeah, actually. And what's funny is, 
Um, where where my, did you go? There? Yeah, I, I went there. But what, what's interesting is my passion was always music, Ken. And so um, I started my professional career in the music industry. And that's really where I began my professional career. And I started very young. And I'm grateful that I did that because there's a saying, I can't remember who said it, but there's a saying of what the most uh, difficult industries to be successful in are, uh, difficult in terms of kind of all of the different Machiavellian things that occur, all the political stuff that occurs. And one is boxing, right? Boxing yeah. is considered to be a very sort of ruthless environment to be in. And the other is the music industry, right? And so, Ken, I want you to imagine someone born and raised in the kind of environment that we spoke about, okay? And that kind of background where it's small town, you know, um, neighbors knowing each other, neighbors giving each other free cookies, you know, baking little cookies, <laughs> giving to my neighbors, they're baking cookies. And then entering the music industry, which is known all around the world, it's like one of the most competitive, toughest, ruthless environments. And so that was really a big a learning lesson for me yeah. that I'm so grateful for that I was able to learn at a very young age because the music industry is by far one of the most cunning, difficult, tough industries to be in. I mean, you... So well, hang on. So, so what do you, when you say you were in the music industry, were you like, was, was, were you a Broadway performer? Did you sing? I was opera? a producer. I was a producer and oh, um, I was okay. a, a, a pop music producer. So I would produce songs for people from all over the world. Even I myself had, you know, a, a very brief run that I stepped in front of the camera, but I was never passionate about being in front of the camera. I was a behind the scenes guy. That's yeah. what I love doing more. But I was producing songs, writing songs for artists from all over the world. And um, what, what was interesting was uh, my experience in that industry really helped shift, shape, and mold a lot of my my uh, you know background. What's up, Joe? Good to see you. We have the Ingram brother, man. Wow. I know, man. We have Frank I mean, and Joe. I'm pumped up. We got the whole Ingram family here. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's oh, how you know you have a good show, Ken. When, when the Ingrams both are Ingrams watching, show because up. one thing, one thing that the Ingram family is not short on is content to watch. Like I don't know if you've ever been on Frank's Instagram. Okay. Oh my god. They don't need help finding good stuff to watch online. No. So if they're watching the Ken Walls show, that means that this is a good program, Ken. So congratulations <laughs> to you. Uh, they're so, not struggling so what, to what, find what, anything. What? What's a music producer? What, what I don't, I so I and I mean that I don't, I really don't know what's what's that mean. And you said you went to college, but we blew past that. Where did you go to college? I went to college actually to at a place called Concordia, and it's a it was a small private uh college. But Morock is a powerful, positive force, and incredible leader. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Rex Sykes. I appreciate right. the plug, that's awfully kind of you, and yeah. I certainly appreciate. Um, uh, the love and support. But what's funny is I had the, the the college I went to had absolutely nothing to do with my career in music at all. See, I was autodidactic with music and yeah. the industries that I ended up in, I was largely autodidactic in as well. And so college didn't help me at all with anything in my career at all. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. Truth be told, like I, I was asleep through half of the classes because it was I found most of it boring. But what did help me is my curiosity, my desire for a real world experience. Um, even when I was in Minnesota, there was a short period of time where I was hired by a political candidate, even at a young age, even before I graduated, to do communications work. And so I was always active in the community. I was always finding situations to get involved with. I was always out and about, letting the yeah. community know, hey, I'm here, my presence is here. And so the lesson there, is that it's not so much about just studying, it's about going out, meeting people, placing yourself in different situations. You know, that experience that I just spoke about, working for a few months on a political campaign, helped me out a lot in life as well. And yep. when I moved to California, I made sure that my presence was known. I had meetings with people constantly in Hollywood. I had yep. meetings with people constantly in the business, in the industry, letting, letting them know, hey, 
I am here. And so I think the lesson for anyone watching is to make your presence known in your right. industry. Let people know yep. you exist. Let, you know, don't be shy about your presence, you know, have the, um, the audacity to let people know that you're here, you've arrived and you have value that you want to provide. And so that I think is the greater lesson here for the people watching is whatever industry you're in, be proactive every single day, speak yep. to somebody every single day and just do it with the intention of networking for the sake of networking, not talking to someone for the sake of finding the deal, finding a close, finding someone to close a deal with. I think that a lot of people have a wrong impression. Thank you, Rex. A lot of people have a wrong impression of how business is conducted, right? Um, some people, they wake up in the morning and they think to themselves, man, I'm going to get a sale today, right? I'm going to find yep. someone to sell something to. And yep. then, you know, I watch these people and, and you know, I, I, I'm just watching from a distance and a year goes by, two years go by, three years go by, and they're in the exact same place doing yep. the exact same thing, making yep. the exact same amount of money. And they've been very, very busy going absolutely nowhere. They've been very, very busy, but not productive. They've been running around like a chicken and their head cut off, just looking for the next person to get a check from. And so the lesson is don't be that guy, right? right? Build real relationships, understand, even if we wanted to speak in terms of, you know, economic value, understand the value of a lifelong relationship as opposed to one sale. See, too many people can, they're focused on a sale. A sale is a one-time transaction. But if you're yeah. focused on the relationship, a relationship, an authentic, genuine relationship with someone that you're doing business with, that you love about, that you love, that you care about, that you guide, that you assist, that lifelong residual value is infinite times higher than a one-time sale. And so I encourage people to focus on the lifelong residual value. I myself have created incredible working relationships with people. And those working relationships that in many cases have lasted years have had a lifelong residual value, not knowing what that value would necessarily be when I started those relationships. You know, there are people that I've been friends with for 10 years, Ken, and on the 10th year of our friendship, we finally started to do business together and it was remarkable, a remarkable experience. But had I seen that person as just a means to an end, uh, you know, someone that I can sell something to, there would no, be no 10-year friendship. And so I encourage people, especially in today's world, stop thinking like a salesperson, start thinking like a human being, right? You I know, agree, man. I agree. I think that 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 um I I mean you said it. Don't be don't be just transactional and 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 learn how to build. That's the and that's that's what I do. That's what I teach is like build relationships with people and 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 the other thing is, is, you know, you never know where, where there's, there's, there's our brother, Jay Nolan. You, you never, know, Jay, by the way, Ken, I have to plug Jay. Jay hit a 340. He hit a 340 in professional baseball. Not a lot of people know that. Uh, you know, I, I, I knew that. And, and I, I want to know what the heck happened the other 6.6 .6 times at bat, dude. <laughs> I'm totally right. kidding, dude. I've I've actually played real men's league baseball against semi-pro pitchers throwing ninety plus mile an hour fastballs, and you you dude, don't imagine it'd be three forty with ninety plus mile no, fastballs. No, I can't. No I think I I think I hit point one. <laughs> or something <laughs> it was it was bad but so so you know look so you got you you became a music producer and i know rex was being funny um he said a music producer produces music i i get that um but here's here's the thing um i i still don't like i'm gonna go out so, and okay. just produce music. how do you make no, money let's break it down okay how do you make money doing that okay so as a music producer, you wear a lot of hats, okay? First of all, in my particular uh, niche market, I was in, in the international market and I specialized in the Mediterranean market. And so if you wanna be a successful music producer, it's not just about making music. 
right? There's a lot of people that know how to play instruments, they, they know how to make pretty songs. That is irrelevant. Being a music producer, that aspect is a very small percentage of it. We'll say maybe 10%, right? 90% of it is understanding your demographic. So you have to be a good sociologist. You have to understand the general demographic of, of your target audience. You have to be a good psychologist because you have to get into the mind of the person that's going to listen to the song. Why? Because you're producing something that you want them to remember. So you have right. to be a good sociologist. You have to be a right. good psychologist, right? You have to understand the demographic. You have to understand how to get into their minds. And what's interesting, Ken, is little did I know at the time when I was producing hit songs for people all around the world that I was learning real world experience of marketing. Because when you're able to create content and it reaches tens of millions of people from around the world, okay, when you're able to build brands and this brand is known by tens of millions of people around the world, you actually have real world marketing and branding experience. Right. Real world marketing and branding experience surpasses and supersedes anything you can learn in school, anything you can learn in the classroom. And absolutely right, Joe, being a psycho just a little bit, just a sprinkle of that, you know, the Joe Ingram psycho doesn't hurt either. And right. so what's interesting, Ken, is having real world experience in building a brand, an international brand, having your content that you've created from scratch reach tens of millions of people. There's no classroom that can teach you how to do that. Only real world experience teaches you how to do that. But when you come out of the other side of that, now you understand these things. You understand, you know, uh, nano targeting. You understand what it means to uh, to penetrate a market, so to say. And so, you know, with that being said, I always tell people real world experience is the way to go. I had no idea when I entered that world what I was going to experience, what I was going to learn, what I was going to go through, what I was going to earn. But I did it because it was in my heart. You know, I was now, passionate did you start, about it. Did you start this in Minnesota? Or, yeah, or, I started my professional career at 15. Okay. By 19, then, yeah, but by, by, by the time while I was still in school, I had already earned um, uh, my first gold record. And so, you know, wow. with that being said, Ken, it was a, a very early grounding experience. And I'm very grateful for that. And, wow. and I think that the lesson, Ken, <clears throat> is to get out there as soon as possible. You know, being someone that was born in, in Minnesota, you and I both know, Ken, that Minnesota has a lot of what? It has a lot lakes. of lakes. And, and what, when we see lakes, what do you see a lot of? Fish. And? Uh, gnats. And? <laughs> uh, boats. Okay. And a lot of ducks, right? <laughs> oh, ducks. Really? Okay, so, so here's the thing, though, Ken. <laughs> when, you, when you see a lot of ducks... Okay, when you, when, you see, when you grow up in a situation where you see a lot of ducks, okay, <laughs> wait, if you think that's funny, Ken, you should wait for the punchline, man. You're like, this I'm is a good crowd. No, I like this. This is actually a good crowd. You know, you, you know, Ken, you should be able to go to any laugh factory for free because you're the guy that's laughing during the setup. I love that. If there's like but a comedian, it took us a while to get to the damn duck. <laughs> I was like, "What the hell? Where are we going, man? Waves? There's a but, lot of but, waves, right? There's a lot of waves. There's a lot of water, <laughs> right? But here's the thing, Ken. Here's the here's the cabins. A lot so, of yes. cabins. When you're in a situation where you see a lot of ducks, you become uniquely qualified to know. From an anthropology from an anthropology standpoint, how ducks behave because you're around them so much. I have never seen in my lifetime, can ever, not once, ducks lining up in a row. And yet, so many people are waiting for ducks to line up in a row before they start, before they take action, before they do oh. something. Oh, I don't have enough money to do that. Oh, I don't I don't know anyone in that industry. Oh, I just don't know what people would think because I'm just not ready for it. Oh, the ducks are not lined up for me to take action. Ducks don't line up, okay? Ducks don't line up together, right? Where did and that say Joe, Joe, if you want the punchline, you go to Frank's Instagram. He's going <laughs> to post it in a meme, okay? 
That's where the punchline is. The punchline is on this show. So the, you're waiting on your ducks, to getting your ducks in, all in a row or lined up. Not going to happen, dude. Don't line up. It does not happen. It's not going to happen. So you need to get busy. Get busy making stuff happen. Dude, uh, look, all of your followers and fans are making fun of me now. Come on, Francois. I wish – no, they're, they're all my friends. <laughs> I, I don't Francois. have fans. They're all my buddies. But Francois um, my buddy shout out to Francois. Francois. I love that, dude. So, so yes, stop waiting for all your ducks in a row. So, and, and so, so Mo is a self-proclaimed duck expert now. Absolutely. Um, You're absolutely right. The book, the book is coming very soon, Ken. I'm hoping to get a forward written by you, though. Right? I'll write it, dude. I'll I write appreciate it. you. So, so okay, Mo, you you ended up in in California. Did you head straight for LA? Yeah. And, and did you um, have did you have Kid Rock bumping all the way there? Hundred percent, of course. Bow, bow went to Wow Wow. Bow went to Wow Wow was on repeat. Dude. <laughs> bow went to bow. What else would I be listening to? I, I mean, right. So, so when you got to California, it, it, just think back to the day that you arrived. Right. Because I, I remember when I went to Vegas and I was like, man, it's gonna be real <laughs> now, man. I'm gonna I remember be so it, man. I remember it. And, and, and what's funny is I have I remember that day, Ken, that I yeah. finally arrived, and I remember like the gut feeling that I had, and I have not felt that way, Ken, until this morning when I went on the Ken Walls show. So whatever <laughs> that feeling was, I have been waiting so many years to feel it again, and finally, oh my God. it's it, here. I didn't realize that getting on this show would give me that same feeling back. So I want to thank dude, you. You have arrived. Now. I didn't know, dude. I didn't know that I could feel that way again. <laughs> you've you've <laughs> arrived, man. You've made it. You've made it. Shout out to Frank no, so Ingram. The Duck Whisperer. I love it. So 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 you got to California. You felt I I I'm sure you felt like this is where life begins. This is wow and and. And so did you face it was, did you have like millions of dollars in the bank and life was easy or, or was it like, man, holy crap. You know, if I had millions of dollars in the bank at that moment in time, um, I would not have been able to learn the things that I was able to learn. Right. right. And so I, I, I went into the industry and uh, I was in that industry for a few years and I did very well. Relatively speaking, compared to most people in that industry, I, I reached the top 1% of that field and I left that industry, right? Shortly thereafter, which confused a lot of people. What I realized a couple years into it on a professional level was that I don't want to do that the rest of my life. I don't want to be in that environment. I don't want to be in that, um, in, in that setting situation. So I immediately diversified and got into different things. Um, you know, I, I learned about angel investing. I learned what it meant to be an investor. I learned what it meant to invest in tech companies. I learned what it meant to get into software. I learned what it meant to use the resources that I had accumulated to multiply them. And that's where my wow. obsession turned into the world of business. Uh, but I could not have done that without having that seed capital that I was able to obtain from that industry. Obtaining that initial seed capital um, was the most rewarding journey the most difficult journey. You know, there's, there's this quote from Charlie Munger that I, that I recommend everybody read. I don't, I don't know it verbatim, but the quote that Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's right-hand man, says is, hey, do whatever you need to do to get that first 100K or that first million or whatever the case may be, right? It, even if that means, um, you know, uh, eating ramen noodles, Whatever it takes to get to that first pillar of your life financially, you need to do to get it without excuses. Oh, and so, hold, hold on. Yeah. Hold, hold on. I, I get so tired of hearing people diss on ramen noodles like they're a bad thing. I love oh, dude, they're I awesome. Have, they're awesome. Dude, I have they're, two they're cases. Expensive. I have two cases of it sitting in my very expensive home right now because i flavor? eat but what flavor because if you eat beef ramen um, noodles chicken. there's something wrong chicken. with you okay it's 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 chicken, i want to know uh, teriyaki okay. 
chicken no, no, teriyaki. No, 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 no. I don't know. I don't know why you're doing chicken good. teriyaki, buddy. The only it's ramen good. noodles, dude. The only ramen noodles a person should be eating is maruchan chicken, not beef with like little fake pieces of beef chunks in it. No, not no. chicken teriyaki. Who Just knows what good. they're mixing? Dude, I, 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 I mean, I, I love you. Look, I have, I have a ramen noodle. So I only take a little bit out of the packet and sprinkle it in. And then I use some Parmesan cheese in there. Dude, you're not and, supposed to put Parmesan cheese in ramen noodles. Can't oh, listen. dude. I love you, buddy. Change, I love you. I respect life. you. I don't it want to rift between our, Dude, I don't want to rift between our friendship. I don't want you and I, you know. I mean, look, I know that we can talk politics and have disagreements. We can talk religion. But if you're going to tell me that chicken teriyaki ramen noodles with Parmesan cheese oh, is the way to go, I, I don't know, man. Maybe we should change the subject matter. I don't want you, you know, you and I, we're, we, we get along well. You're my buddy. I'm not. Oh, look at that. Crack an egg in the ramen. Yeah. Now we're talking, man. Man, I don't know. Dude. You guys, you guys are. Are, are starting to really uh, ruffle my feathers, okay? You're starting, you know what you're doing, Ken? You know what you're doing right now, buddy? You, sir, are grinding my gears, okay? And I have to tell you, I don't know if I like it. Oh, my God. Oh, this is fun. So, dude, so so you you got to, you got to um, L.A., and, and I'm sure that um, – here, sprinkle some uncooked pieces on top for the crunch. <laughs> Actually, that's kind of brilliant. Frank, you're onto well, something. Try the, the duck, duck ramen. ramen like, oh, smart, smart. <laughs> there we go, Joe. Clever. Always with a clever line. <laughs> with a little yeah. hot sauce. See, that I can live with because that's normal. All this, you know, Parmesan cheese and chicken Parmesan. Hey, Dude, have you ever had it? Buddy, there's... Have you I never ever had, had okay. it? Have you ever put broccoli in your vanilla ice cream cone? I have. Oh, sure. How was it? Dude, that's, that's it's not that extreme. Anyway, what, we can agree to disagree. How about that? But if you ever come to my house, you're trying some Parmesan cheese on your ramen noodles. Oh, my noodle. gosh. God help so, me. So, look, look, look. I thought this was a P, I thought this was a PG show, Ken. What's I going know. on, buddy? I don't know what's are we, happening. Are we going R? I can go R-rated if you want. No, 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 no. We, we're gonna. So, so you got to L.A. Things, things were not. They couldn't have been. I, I, I've heard so many stories. I've experienced the stories where you mm -hmm. go, you think you, you're heading somewhere, um, and and it seems like you know the day you get there, it's like somebody hit the golden buzzer, and and then you're like reality sets in. You're like, oh shit, I got to pay rent here too and 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 everything else. So You know, Ken, something I'm, I'm really grateful for is, the, and going back to the beginning of this conversation, I've always uh, been a person of faith. <laughs> Joe's funny. Uh, Joe, you didn't know that we're all roommates? Didn't you, didn't you know that the three of us live together? We have a reality show coming out. Oh my I mean, God, you should funny. see some of the stuff that happens in this house, Joe, between the three of us, Right. I mean, there, there. This morning, I was arguing because I had put my favorite pop tart, blueberry pop tart, over there in the kitchen, and Les woke up and started eating it, dude. I'm like, come on, man! Like, I was saving that. And, and he said, this, "Hey, hey, I was hungry." <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, "Mo, you gotta stay hungry." I said, "Les, I didn't know that you meant that literally, dude." Like literally, I'm about to do this Ken Walsh show, and I'm I literally gonna do it hungry. I mean, I thought you meant that metaphorically, and oh, then you know, I open the fridge and there's nothing in there, and he's like, "Yeah, Mo, you gotta stay." I'm like, "Dude, really? Come on, that man." So honestly, the, the don't have roommates. The messages don't have roommates. I can't wait to get the hell out of this house. These two folks, these two are driving me crazy. Oh. All right, so let's get back to the real story. Of Mo is now in LA and and <laughs> stay on. Oh, this look, Joe is right. Gee, many Christmas. Let's get this train back on the track. So, so you gotta um, stay hungry, ladies and gentlemen. Francois was hungry, <laughs> dude. You ate my pot. 
He did. I swear he did. Oh my I was so God, mad, Ken. I, I don't know if you noticed. I was kind of angry when the show started. Like I, I was like, dude, you need a pop tart or something. You're like, dude. yeah, less. I, I cannot I wait to get the hell meant. out of this place, man. I did. I didn't know what that meant. So, 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 talk about like you. You went out to to L.A. and you got into the the business world. You start your own business out there, doing what? Well, at that time, like I said, <laughs> man, these comments are too funny. I know. <laughs> at the time, like I said, 100% of my career was only exclusively in music and the entertainment industry. That's it. Okay. And so at the time, I was just an independent producer, and I would have contracts with different record labels, contracts with different artists. Most of them were under contract with labels. It may be used. That's brilliant. You see, that is smart. And but what I do like though, Ken, is how he specifically tells us the voiceover voice, so all of us have it in our brain. So that's an NLP. That's an NLP technique right there. That's a neurolinguistic programming technique. You know, yeah. don't think of a big pink elephant. Boom, what comes up in your mind? Right. And so right. I saw what you did there, Joe. That was a little Jedi mind trick. We all thought about Morgan Freeman's voice. We all thought right. about that voice in Shawshank Redemption. Every single right. person listening did. So I saw what you did there. That was smooth. So you you go go back to um, <clears throat> I'll turn off the comments so we can stay on on track. I'm kidding. But the so so you you were you you were still in the music industry when you got to L.A. Um, and you were making money. Yeah, I mean, look, that's that's um, where my professional career began, and. Uh, I'm very lucky in many respects, Ken, because 99% of people that get in that industry, not only do they come out of that industry not making any money, most of the people that go into that industry come out in debt. There's a huge misconception on what happens yeah. in the music business. There's a huge misconception on what happens when someone signs a record deal or signs a record label uh, yeah. contract, especially today with something called a 360 deal where record labels now sign artists to what's called a 360 deal. That means record labels get money from everything, including merchandise, including shows. Whereas before it used to be, that was the bread and butter for the artist. You know, the record label would make money from the distribution of the song, from the marketing of the song, and the artist would make money from the show and from the merch. But now with 360 deals, record labels are getting all of it. And here's a big misconception that people have when they see their favorite artist sign uh, a, a multi-million dollar record contract. What they don't realize is that, let's say, $2 million record contract is nothing more than a $2 million loan. It's just a business loan. Every cent that they get, they need to pay back. Every cent that is spent wow. in studio time, every cent that is spent for the music video budget, let's say they spent three hundred grand on a music video, all of that needs to be paid back with interest to the record label. And so what record labels do is they essentially give out personal loans under the guise of a record contract, right? And the whole thing is a big, uh, I don't want to say scheme, but the whole thing is set up really to just take advantage of artists. And so it's a real unfortunate, uh, it's a real unfortunate industry. There's a whole lot of different, you know, Machiavellian things that occur in that business. It's definitely do, one of the most ruthless industries you can be in. Do I do I hear Forbes buttering toast in the background? Forbes, can you not do that? Can you not butter toast? Less, <laughs> dude. You owe me some pop tarts. I'm kidding. So, so the um, so talk like now. I know. I know that now you are the. What what? Oh, I know that now you are the the CEO of the LA Tribune, um, and the LA Tribune has been around for a long, long time, right? Yeah. So actually, can you can you give that to me, please? Can you give me that. Thank you. Forbes is going to hand something to me. <laughs> Appreciate it. No, 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 that. This one, yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, so this is actually from 1886. Wow. Okay. This is the first. Let me go full screen. Yeah, wow, look at 1886. that. 1886. 
I don't know wow. if you can see it. Yeah, it's but, disappearing. Um, actually, back then, what's interesting, Ken, is newspapers were all one-sided, so there's no backside to it. And um, the newspaper size was different than what you see today. And the sure. kind of, the kind of uh, paper it is actually very much, if you touch it, it's very much like a thick cardboard, okay? Yeah. And it's all just one side. And so the name has existed since uh, 1886. Initially, it was, um, there were two partners and there's a whole lineage and whole history. And I don't see myself as a CEO, Ken. What I see myself as is a steward of that name. And I, 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 feel, I feel more like a steward than anything else because God has really, I'm just real lucky and fortunate as a first generation American um, whose parents came here to escape a war-torn uh, Middle East. I'm just humbled that God has put me in this situation where I can now be a steward of such a historic brand and a historic name. And I, and I look at it really as a responsibility bigger than myself. I mean, we laugh, we joke, we have a good time, Ken. We have our yeah. friends on here and I have a saying, and that's that I don't take myself serious, but I take the work that I do extremely serious. I don't take sure. myself serious, uh, but I take my mission, my purpose and my vision very serious. And so there's a little misconception sometimes with people because I'm an easygoing guy and I like to kid. I like to joke. I like to laugh. I like to have fun. But when it comes to the things that I'm doing, that's where really I take it serious, even though I may not take myself serious because I know that I'm just a man and every man has flaws. Every human being has flaws. Nobody yeah. is perfect, right? We all sin every single day. And so being a man of faith, I understand that. But, you know, Joe takes Doug seriously. And I, and I appreciate Joe. And Joe has worked with us on some different projects and he actually does some, some work with us on the business side of things as well. And so it's really exciting. And I, as did I, Lisa, but here's the point that I want to make. <laughs> here's, that was a good one. Actually, that was a good one. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. And, um, the, the thing that hey, I want can to I get a there, cup of, can I get a cup of that? You're, you're going to get one in the mail, buddy. Oh one yeah. One second. Can I have a little more of the uh, milk, please? Thank you. God bless you. And um, and here's what I want to share with you, though, Ken. This past week, okay. Dude, I've we never did... heard anybody give Forbes orders like that. That's, that's <laughs> you're funny, that's dude. <laughs> you're funny. <laughs> this past week, Ken. Here's what I want to share, though. We did an all women's event. Speaking of Forbes, <laughs> she was one of our speakers at the event, along with a few other people. But we did a all women's event. Okay. Yeah. And uh, a little, thank you. And, and um, we see it as a social responsibility to do things that will impact the community in a positive way. And so every single speaker, every single person in that two day program was a woman. And, um, you know, I had this conversation with some with Forbes, funny enough, about um, why is it that we have such a long list of speakers that are men and yet such a short list of speakers that are women? Right. Why is it that when we think about men leaders, men thought leaders, men speakers, men authors, we can sit here all day long and name the names of the people that are New York Times bestselling authors, the people that have made a name for, for themselves in that industry. But then when it comes to women, there's only a handful. You know, I mean, it, really yeah. think about it. Like, who are some of the names, Ken, uh, that are women public speakers like uh, Sharon, Lector. Lector. Sharon Lecter, who, by the way, um, was one of the speakers at the event. Who else? Um, Lisa Copeland. Lisa Copeland, who, by the way, spoke at our event last year. So, so she's also spoken on our stage. Who else? Lisa Patrick. Lisa Patrick, who's a friend of mine, and she's going to be at the next one. She's a great friend of mine. But the point is this, Ken. The point is it's going to take us a while, and that's an unfortunate reality, right? Shadlin. Is that how you say her name, Shadlin? She's a wonderful supporter of ours, and we I appreciate you, Shad. And so, you know, whether it's Lisa Nichols, whether it's Sharon Lecter, whether it's Forbes Riley, whether it's Lisa Copeland, I mean, these are people that have all spoken on our stage, and we want Patricia to support them. Absolutely, and we want to support them. We want to embrace them, empower them, and, you know, I told the guys at the Tribune, let's take a back seat on this one. 
we don't need to be in, in front of the camera all the time. Let's take a back seat. Let's actually support the women. Let's uplift them. Let's inspire the world because we have messages from people that were watching that event with their daughter. We have messages of people yeah. watching that event with their children. And I want those little girls to see speakers like the Sherrods, like the Forbeses, like the Lisa Nicholses, and be inspired, right? And, and, yeah. and the problems of the world, Ken, are not always our fault. But as leaders, we make them our responsibility. You know? I love that, dude. I didn't wake up and make inequality a reality. I didn't wake up and make children going hungry a reality. I didn't do that. It's not my fault. But just because it's not my fault doesn't mean I shouldn't make it my responsibility. The problem that I see on this planet is a lot of people say, well, it's not my fault. So, I, you know, there's children starving in the world. It's not my fault. There's, there's inequality. It's not my fault. I didn't do that. And then they go on about their business. No, right. I'm not with that. I don't respect that. Just because something is not your fault does not mean it's it shouldn't be your responsibility. If you're living on this planet, okay, ecology tells us that all of us have a relationship with one another. And so let's start making things that are, that's not our fault, our responsibility. Wake up in the morning and know that just because something's not your fault does not mean it's not your responsibility. Love that, dude. I love that. That's awesome. That is a really cool coffee mug, I might add. But you're gonna get one. So, 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 Mo, where did or how did the um, whole thing? I mean, you didn't go. You didn't go from Minnesota to LA, and it with the the thought in mind that you know I'm gonna I'm gonna be the CEO of the LA Tribune one day. I mean, how did that happen? How did that come about? Honestly, like I said, the truth is I, especially as a first-generation American, am so blessed um, and I'm just so grateful that um, that, that situation occurred. You know, yeah. and, and one day, I know we're running a little short on time, and one yeah. day we'll go into it in a more deep way about the twists and turns, but the short Cliff Notes version is I'm grateful that – I got into angel investing and I'm grateful that I got into different groups because what happens is, and this is the lesson of the story, Ken, is keep your ears close to the action because yep. keep your ears close to the action because an opportunity will arise for you to either acquire a business or for you to be a part of a group of folks that are making an investment Yep, and you're going to want to be a part of that situation. That's the story of my life and my career is I have just been lucky, blessed, grateful to be in situations and circumstances with people way smarter than I, people I way that. more intelligent than I am, but I just show up, <laughs> right? Yeah. Just showing up and being in those situations, you become privy to information and information is power but only when it's executed, yep. right? And so, I yes, agree. I have become privy to different information. Yes, I become, you know, I listen to what's going on in the market. I listen to the trends. I listen to the things that are happening, but I take action, right? I don't just listen for the sake of listening. If I want to listen to something for the sake of listening, I'll listen to a song. <laughs> I'll listen to a, you know, uh, yeah. a, a song from my favorite band. If we're talking business, we need to talk about something where there's a tangible action about to occur. So being privy to, to opportunities, uh, being privy to information, and then executing and having the what my Yiddish friends call having the chutzpah, okay, yep. to yep. actually take a chance and make an investment, okay? There's too yep. many people that are afraid to invest. If you're afraid to invest, don't expect the outcome of your life you know, if, if you're not going to plant seeds, how can you expect a tree to blossom with the fruit for you to pick and eat? I First, totally agree. Seed. And so totally. that's kind of the lesson there is to be privy to situations where investment opportunities are, are in front of you and you execute on them. You take the chance, right? Yep. And, 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 and you get involved in something that you know you're passionate about, that you know you can do well. In. And the other, the second part of the lesson, Ken, is to know thyself. 
I know, Kent, if I buy a, um, a chain of laundry mats, I'm going to go bankrupt in two years because that is so boring to me that I'm not going to wake up and be passionate about having the number one laundromat company in California. I just don't care. I know if I buy a chain of car dealerships, which I've had the opportunity to do in my life, um, I'm going to be bored. I'm not going to have the number one car dealership chain in Southern California because I find that business boring. Right. It's about knowing myself. You know, the great, the ancient Greeks said that the, the most important thing for us to know is thyself and be honest with who you are. So I'm in, I'm in, a, in, a, in an industry that I'm passionate about. I'm very passionate about news. I'm very passionate about information. I'm very passionate about community involvement. As you can see, I'm passionate about the history of news. Um, yeah. And so it's something that I wake up with a zest for. You have to have a zest for what you do. You have to genuinely enjoy what you do because business is not easy. Business is hard. And unless you love it, you're not going to be able to deal with it. You will tap out. You will throw in the white towel and you will say, you yep. know what? I don't love this. I'm going to go back to a nine to five. I'm going to go back to this. I'm going to do that. You've yep. got to love what you do, not for the sake of loving what you do, but because by loving what you do, it's going to give you an extra bit of grit. It's going to give you the. Uh, it's going to give you more of an ability to deal with the trials, tribulations, and the waves that inevitably will hit you in business. And so, I think there's a two-part lesson in that. One, be privy to uh, people that are taking action and become an action taker. Right? Have yeah. have friends. Have a social circle of people that are leaders. Have a social circle of people that actually make things happen. Don't just talk about it. Right? A lot of people sit around and talk, 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 talk. I'm not interested yep. in any of that. You know, while they're talking, I'm out doing. Okay. And so that's number one. And number two, find an industry, get involved in an industry that you sincerely love and that you're genuinely passionate about. And so with that being with that being said, Ken, this was a lot of fun, dude. This was you a rock, lot of fun. Bro. You're awesome. Hey, where where's the best place for everybody to follow you? I usually hang out by the lakes. Yeah, you can, you no, can follow I, me. I, I'm usually trying to get ducks, ducks in a row. Yeah, <laughs> no, you <laughs> guy down there trying to line up the ducks. No, Instagram. Um, Instagram is probably the best place. I'm, you know, I'm on Clubhouse a lot, but I'm actually taking. Uh, I'm actually leaving Clubhouse in um, two days. Yeah, it's hundred days yet. Yeah, well, in about three days, uh, we're gonna do a uh, full hundred days. Jay Nolan and I. And, and, and a group of folks on Clubhouse that did a 100-day marathon. And, dude, we, we have changed so many lives. We've impacted yeah. so many people. I mean, just yesterday on a public forum, uh, a dear friend of mine, people that have become friends of mine, shared about how this, this club has impacted them. We've literally had people, Ken, come out and say, I was going to commit suicide because of this community I did not. Literally. Wow. No hyperbole. And wow. it, it didn't happen once or twice. We've heard that now from people from around the world because we've really created a movement, a community that's life changing. And I'm just so grateful for the people of that community. It's become something beyond our wildest dreams, bigger than we anticipated. When Jay and I decided to do it, we did it just because our hearts wanted an outlet because everything was closed. I mean, now, few, three months later, things are starting to open up again. But you have yeah. to go back three months ago. Everything was shut down, and we did not have the ability to go up on stages. We did not have the ability to travel. And both of right. us being speakers, both of us being community leaders and active, we had like a void missing. And we said, you know what? Let's just do it digitally, and let's use this yeah. technology not for entertainment. Let's use this technology not for fun, but to actually make a real-world impact. And we have literally saved lives. We've literally saved souls. And so for me – that's it. Like that's a W. Like my mission was yep. accomplished, and, and we we have a lot more work to do. But even if it ended today, Jay and I, I mean, look, we we've saved lives, and we we have many more lives to save. We have many more things to do. We have much more help the world needs. But the point is, man, even up until this point, it's it's really done my heart glad. Dude, it's been I've been a part of it. Not every day. 
but I've been a part of it when I can, and it's been uh, it's been absolutely amazing. So, everybody, what's your uh, Instagram on your Instagram handle? Mo Rock, my name. Mo Rock loves you. Mo Rock loves you. That's awesome. Is there a website that people can find you on? No, no, I don't have a website. Funny enough, I mean, I have okay. my team. They they put something up there, but I'm not active yeah. on there. Probably the best way is just through Instagram. And okay. for the next two or three days, at least on Clubhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Mo Rock, you rock, dude. Thank you for I appreciate there. you, bro. I appreciate, I appreciate you, man. Too. Don't hang up on me, but I'm going to end the live stream. Thank you for everyone who's been here. If you shared this out, thank you. If you haven't shared it out, redeem yourself now and share it. Thank <laughs> you, guys. Appreciate you. <laughs> Mo, thanks, brother. I appreciate you, man. I love you, bro. Love you too, man. Thank you. See you guys.